here's their view, quite simply. When it comes to marketing, selling, what they want us to do is to create the potential for value for them. That's it. Don't waste their time. So therefore, the output when we're selling should be what I call an irresistible value proposition. It's one that hits the customer right between the eyes, gets them excited about doing business with us. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I've got Steve Thompson with us, and we're going to be discussing the compelling proposal, making the customer choose you. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Steve, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, just by way of introduction for our listeners, uh, Steve Thompson is founder and managing partner at Value Lifecycle, which is a B2B deal training and consulting firm. He's helped close more than $15 billion, that's with a B, (laughs) in business-to-business deals in over 120 different industries. Steve wrote the book, well, he's written five books, but this, the one we're talking about today is he wrote the book, The Compelling Proposal to Help Salespeople Increase Their Close Rate. So um, I'll, I'll jump right into it here, Steve. What, what inspired you to write the book, The Compelling Proposal? Well, Steve, I, um, for your listeners, about half of my business is also on the buying side. Uh, where I work with some of the largest companies in the world, they'll bring me in to help negotiate and close critical deals with key suppliers. And one of the tasks that they often will ask me to do is to review supplier proposals. Mm. And I'll tell you, I absolutely hate that job. (laughs) Uh, job. and, (laughs) And I hate it because it's a waste of time. I can virtually tell you what every proposal is going to say. It's going to first, it's going to all be about the supplier about their products, their services, the number of offices they've got, if they've acquired companies recently, uh, if they're in the technology arena, you know, if they're Gartner, upper right quadrant, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, you could change the logos and the acronyms for the products and services, and they would all read virtually identical. Um, and as I did more of this, I came to realize that, you know, most sellers don't understand what the proposal should actually be accomplishing. And it's being treated kind of as a checkbox exercise. You know, you get to that point in the sales cycle, I've got to send a proposal off. And they'll range from a two-page, what I would really call a quote, you know, which is a list of indecipherable acronyms and SKUs with prices and volume. And we'll send that to the customer. And then at the other end of the spectrum is a young novel, you know, that is all publicly available information about me and my company. And in each case, neither one of them is helping the customer make an informed decision, which is what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And because it looks the same from one company to another, uh, I think every sales rep kind of gets hung up on what I'll call their lucky format, right? And when it's time for a new proposal, they'll dust that one off. They'll make a couple of changes. Hopefully, they do a search and replace and put the new customer's name in. And by the way, I've seen some where they forgot to do that Mm -hmm. um, and send it off. But they don't really think about what is this proposal supposed to do? 
and and it's interesting. I uh, you know that's half my business. The other half is on the selling side. And when I'm in front of a, uh, a bunch of uh, enterprise salespeople in the B2B space, I'll, I'll ask them, what's the purpose of a proposal? And it's funny because they'll, it'll get real quiet and they'll look at me like I'm from Mars. You know, it's like, well, what are you talking about? You know, why are you asking such a dumb question? And I go, well, I'm the king of dumb questions. I'll, I'll going to tell you that right now. Uh, <laughs> I also I'm, wear that crown. <laughs> good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm really good at that. And I go just, you know, give me, what do you think? You know, and it's like to close the deal. And I go, okay, we'll bring one up here and let's put it up and show everybody. Tell me how this is closing the deal. And I tell you, it gets real uncomfortable real quickly. Uh, when they suddenly realize that, whoa, you know, we haven't really thought about it. So to make a long story short, that's really what got me um, focused in this area because I just kept coming across it and coming across it. And I'm saying this is a huge opportunity that's being missed. Um, and you look today in B2B sales, and I don't know, the last research that I read said there was like, you know, 9.3 on average decision makers or influencers on the customer side in a B2B deal. Um, I can assure you those people are all not aligned. Okay. And yet we're trying to sell into all of this uncertainty and all this risk. Uh, and our proposal is going to have to help us navigate a lot of that uncertainty. And it can, if we do it the right way. Uh, but as it stands now, you know, if you believe those nine people are going to read what you send over, if it's a young novel, they're not. Uh, or if you just send a two page quote, what's going to happen is somebody's going to eventually get this up to the CFO. He's going to look at all this indecipherable stuff and say, well, why do we need this? What's this one mean? You know, and why do we need so much of it? And if your champion can't easily answer those questions, well, suddenly this whole thing is being called into question. Mm -hmm. And that's where I see deals, you know, slowing down over on the buying side. Makes a ton of sense. Well, if that's, if that's the wrong way to do it, what, tell me about the right way. What, what should a proposal accomplish? Well, first off, the purpose of the proposal, okay? The purpose is it should bridge from the selling activities to the negotiation. That's the purpose of the proposal, and it should do so seamlessly if you do it well. And in doing so, I've come up with basically five objectives that a proposal should accomplish. Number one, it should reinforce trust. Now, what makes a customer trust you? And a lot of salespeople get really confused with that, again, dumb question that I ask. Uh, but, but the truth is, customers trust you because of what you know about them, about what they're trying to accomplish. They don't trust you because of what you know about your products and services. You know, that's a price to play, if you will. So that's, that's the first objective. The second objective is we need to ensure that we're setting up the right negotiation. Because you could be the best negotiator in the world, but if you're having the wrong negotiation, I guarantee you, you're not going to get the results you want. The third objective is to establish credibility. Now, a lot of people confuse trust and credibility, and I understand that because they're closely related. But in the context of B2B sales, think of it this way. Trust is a function of what you know about them credibility is, have you been there and done that? Okay. Can you 
tee up, if you will, reference accounts or other customers that were trying to solve similar problems or achieve similar outcomes. And you can demonstrate what you, you know, ended up producing for them. That's credibility. Then the fourth objective is we've got to manage uncertainty. As I said before, in the B2B world now, uh, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty because of all the moving parts and the complexity of a lot of the solutions that are being sold. But then you layer on top of that the number of buying influencers on the customer side. And as I mentioned earlier, they, they've got their own agendas. They're all not aligned. And if you think about it, it's like, well, wait a minute, we're not doing a deal with IT and another deal with operations and another deal with procurement. You know, we're only doing one deal. How do we surface that uncertainty and deal with it, okay, and manage it in an effective way? And in the process, we want to make it easy, and this is the last objective, for the customer to buy versus us selling to them. Now, I don't know about you, but who likes to be sold to? Very few people. Although I do, I do appreciate a good, a good sales pitch, but I, I'm, I'm probably not the average person. <laughs> well, you know, I appreciate a good sales pitch too. Uh, if I've got the time to listen to it, I'll really appreciate it. If it happens to be addressing something I care about right now, mm -hmm. but by and large, you know, I'm not interested in being sold to, but you know, if I need to solve a problem or I need to address something, I do want to make an informed buying decision. And it may sound, you know, subtle. It may sound like I'm uh, uh, tinkering, if you will, in semantics, but it's a really powerful concept because what we do in our proposals is we're going to give the customer three options and we call them multiple acceptable options, meaning we're prepared to accept any one of them but we believe they have very different value propositions for the customer. And we're gonna present them to the customer and say, look, based on all of our conversations, it appears to us that there's several ways we could proceed from here. And let me go through the options we came up with. And then you ask the customer, which one of these is most attractive to you? See, now you're inviting them in to actually help construct the right deal. And invariably, if you have multiple buying influencers in the room, my experience is in a one-hour time frame, you're going to learn more than you learned in six-month sales cycle as they're cross-talking and, you know, uh, discussing pros and cons and things. But as they hone in on one of the options, then the next question that I have my clients ask is, okay, how could it be improved? See, what you're saying is, look, it's not our way or the highway. There's a lot of different ways we could move forward from here. And what happens is the customer starts constructing their deal. And the negotiation is actually happening right then and there. It just doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. And a funny thing happens when it's their deal, sales cycles compress dramatically. You know, the hurdles that they told you they were going to have selling things internally, et cetera. Well, suddenly those disappear. Because that's, that's the last part, if you will, of the objectives is you need to understand that if this is a complex sale and there are multiple buying influencers, there's going to be internal selling that goes on when you're not there. Are we equipping them with the right information that's in their language, not ours? 
okay, so that it's easy for them to sell internally. So basically, that's it. I mean, it's, it's seven simple slides. Okay, now it can be done in written format, but um, I've, I absolutely prefer uh, being live with the customer, and it's designed to generate a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I've had clients who've used this on deals of $20,000. I've had clients who've used this on deals well north of a billion dollars on a single deal. And the decision was made based on seven simple slides. Now, after the decision was made, you know, of course, there's the administrivia, as I call it. There's the contract, T's and C's and everything. And, you know, that ended up being five inches thick. But that's okay. The deal was done. Everybody knew where we were going and how we were going. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, it, in, your, in your book, you talked about the value life cycle. Yes. Could you share with our audience how it helps salespeople to manage value in a deal? Sure. And basically, let me tell you where the value life cycle came about. And this was working with buying organizations. Um, and I gave a speech, this is probably about 10 years ago, to a, uh, a large convention of uh, chief purchasing officers. Um, and I laid out a lot of the issues that were being caused uh, by them uh, to their suppliers by the way they were being treated and what they were doing. Um, and also alluded to the fact that, you know what, you believe you're getting really good deals from your suppliers. I'm going to assure you, you're not, you know, if, if you want to take them out to the woodshed, as they say, and, and beat the snot out of them on price, you can, uh, but word gets out. And when everybody knows that's the way you do business, a funny thing happens everybody's prices when they come in to sell to you are automatically inflated, okay, so that they can give away uh, this discount of 10, 20%, whatever it is that you're rewarding your procurement people for. Mm -hmm. In any event, at the end of this, I had a number of chief purchasing officers that came up to me and said, you know, you're, you're spot on. And, and one of them, and I can't share you with you the company uh, that he was from, but he said, you know, Steve, he goes, we have squeezed our suppliers so hard that today we have business critical suppliers that are essentially refusing to do business with us. And we're putting the whole enterprise at risk here. And that led to an engagement with that company. And there were a couple of others that uh, uh, the same issue came up and they said, what if we want and need a long-term relationship? What should that look like? And nobody had really thought about that. And working with them, what evolved out of this was uh, this model, if you will, called the value life cycle. So let me, let me just briefly describe it because I think it's important for your listeners to understand the context in which we're selling, negotiating, proposing, et cetera. Um, and it's this, if you think about your company, I bet that, you know, when you go to market, we've got an objective of winning customers, keeping them and growing them. You know, that's pretty much what every company out there does. And to do so, we bring to bear marketing, business development, selling. Um, have you ever asked yourself though, what's the purpose of all those? Again, another one of those dumb questions, but that's what we asked ourselves uh, when I was consulting on the buying side. And then, of course, you're going to send a proposal, and we've already talked about that. What's the purpose of a proposal? 
which is going to result at least in, in, in most B2B sales into some sort of negotiation, particularly if you're selling to a larger enterprise, they've got a whole buying machine that includes procurement. But what's the purpose of that negotiation? And then after you win the business, we'll bring to bear support, you know, implementation services, customer success, renewals, a whole host of processes and people. What's the purpose of all that? And when you step back and ask those questions, what came out of it from the buyer side? And I found that their view of it was a lot more logical, if you will, uh, than most selling organizations. And here's their view, quite simply. When it comes to marketing, selling, business development, what they want us to do is to create the potential for value for them. That's it. Okay? That's what they want. Don't waste their time. Okay, talking about us, our products, our services, let's quickly get to the point of what's the potential value for them. And so therefore, the output, if you will, when we're selling should be what I call an irresistible value proposition. It's one that hits the customer right between the eyes, gets them excited about doing business with us. And then we move on to the proposal, which, as I mentioned before, bridges selling and negotiating. Um, that's the purpose of the proposal, but we need to make it easy for them to buy, okay? And we need to manage this uncertainty. Then you get to the negotiation, and the negotiation is nothing more than capturing that value in what I call a great deal. This is a deal that's good for us as sellers, it's good for the customers, buyers, but the third attribute of a great deal, and this is probably the most critical one, it's got all the right components, what I call deal levers, the right products, services with the right volumes and close rates, et cetera, that we both need to ensure we can ultimately deliver that value, okay? So if you imagine this as a circle right now, we're about two thirds of the way around, and for most sales organizations, we're done, right? If we book the business, cash a commission check, we made club, we're having a party. How do you think the customer feels right now at that point when they issue a PO? What do you think their attitude is right then and there? That's their biggest risk moment. Will this, will this work? They're scared to death. Okay, think about their journey up till now, okay? Because most salespeople believe this is the show. Well, let me tell you, from the buying side, this is a necessary and painful evil. And our job is to hit the easy button, okay? And not make it painful for them. Because mm -hmm. they had to sit through multiple presentations from different suppliers. You know, how much fun was that? And then they made a determination, you know what? We got to change what we're doing. So they had to go to senior management and convince them the way they're doing business today is all messed up. They need to spend a bunch of money, disrupt things, commit resources. That wasn't any fun either. And if their company required them to then go out for bid, they had to write an RFP. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in writing RFPs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's about as much fun as having hot tar poured up your nose, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so they had to get through that. And then they issued it to an approved vendor list, and you're on that vendor list. And then they had the distinct pleasure of then reading those proposals that came back. 
each one's only a hundred pages or so. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, you know, and of course we always believe they're thicker's better, right? And the old marketing mantra, we want more exposure. So there's more pictures, more diagrams, whatever. Um, and then they chose you. See right now they are scared to death. A lot of times there's careers on the line. Certainly there's political ramifications, huge risk. We're out having a party. It's the third and final phase of the value life cycle that the customer cares about, and that is deliver that value. And by the way, I'm going to give you credit as a supplier for delivering it. And the reason I'm going to willingly give you credit is it makes me look good. Mm -hmm. It makes me look smart for bringing you in. Now, most companies are missing in action on that third phase. They literally are. Now, with the advent of uh, SaaS, and I'll just use the phrase something as a service, you know, a big bright spotlight got shown on that issue, you know, and, mm -hmm. and as you know, that business model collapses quickly if you've got churn. And Absolutely. so a lot of people scrambled quickly, you know, to start plugging that gap, if you will, with the realization that, uh, wait a minute, we got to deliver that value. Mm -hmm. And well, so and from my perspective, and I, I've worked on both sides of this, right? Like the selling traditional software where it was, you, you kind of give someone a CD and say, have a nice day. The, there the, you go. The, 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 you, you, you go run that CD in your data center. Have, talk, talk, talk to me in five years when you want the upgrade. Exactly. Um, it, to today's software where, um, you know, we get paid monthly or annually and, and it's, it's a much smaller price you know, it ends up being a similar price over the five-year period, but it, you know, if you don't deliver, someone walks out of the walks out the door three months later, and so it, the the difference is, from my perspective, running you know, in a company that that delivers in the delivers a service in the SaaS space is we ha we we've in, we invest in a huge team of people to mm -hmm. ensure that to ensure that these guys are successful. So you get passed from your salesperson to your, what we call a customer success, customer success associate. We pass yep. that baton and now it's not, that person's job is not to sell you stuff. That person's job is to make you happy, make sure you get the value, make sure you understand how the product works, train your people to use it. All the pieces, anything, they, they, they're almost like the opposite of a salesperson where they're, they're their job was not to make the sale. Their job is to keep the person happy and successful for the long term. And that sure. just, that role didn't really exist at the companies I worked at selling traditional software years ago. You know, it was just, it wasn't a thing. And now it's, I mean, it's a third of the people at the company do that. And as the company grows, it'll become a larger percentage because the vast majority of your revenue, your ARR is your install base. Okay. Absolutely. Not your yeah. net new. Absolutely. Um, well, we, we're already there. We, we have twice as many customer success people as we do salespeople. There you go. Well, that's what the value life cycle models is exactly that. Okay. Um, so let me put forth what I view as the biggest disconnect between the selling motion and the natural buying motion. And it's this too many salespeople are selling to a deal. And yet the customer is buying to a different and better outcome. Mm -hmm. they're, they're buying to a long-term relationship where they're going to get value over five, 10 years. Yeah. Because, you know, we in sales, look, we do this for a living. We're professionals in sales. But what we forget is customers do not buy for a living. 
See, they're in the business of their business, okay? Mm -hmm. Not buying. And by confusing that, you know, we many times are blinded to the fact that, uh, wait a minute, and it sounds like in your company, you've got this, this problem solved. I've got a lot of clients that haven't. Yes, they pass the baton, but here's the baton they pass. It'll get over to the implementation, the customer support, you know, customer success team. And basically it tells them here's what they bought and how much they bought. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't tell them why they bought it and the outcomes they're expecting us to deliver mm. or help them deliver. Okay. So that's, that's where it gets dropped because if we can demonstrate, go back in and self-report that we've delivered on these outcomes, all right, I guarantee you renewals with that customer are going to be a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. And let's layer one more thing over it. Okay. And that is new opportunities to upsell and cross sell. What generates those? Well, mm -hmm. what generates those are change. See the day we sign a deal with a, with a customer, things are going to start changing that none of us could predict because none of us can obviously see into the future. Uh, or at least if we did, you and I wouldn't be doing this for a living. Um, and it's the change that generates the new opportunities. But if you're not relevant to that customer, if they don't believe that you're prepared to get in the boat with them, as you alluded to with your team and help them row where they're trying to go, those new opportunities aren't going to be handed to you, you know, and yet in B2B sales, the number one issue is everybody doesn't have enough sales pipeline. Mm -hmm. And the first place I look is at their install base, you know, and I go, I'm sure there's a boatload of pipeline right here that you're not aware of. Okay. And, and your customers aren't willingly offering it up to you because you didn't make sure that you delivered that value and got credit. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry to get up on that high horse, but that is a uh, hot topic of mine. Yeah, and, and a super relevant one for me and for everyone else. And I, I, I view that customer success team as not just making customers successful. They're also my best marketing team. Yep. Um, you know, because they, so many of our future customers come from the recommendations and just discussions of our, our current customers are having at trade shows and with ex-colleagues and with, you know, someone from another department, um, you know, the European team, I can't tell you how many times, that, times that's happened where it's like, Oh, the, we, Oh yeah, that's right. We've been selling this to the U S team for a couple of years. <laughs> oh, you, Oh, you guys have, you guys have a European team. Did, did they want this too? <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, yeah. and you, you know, that, that European team hears about it. If you do a good job, if you don't mm -hmm. do a good job, they don't touch it with a ten foot ten foot pole. So exactly. You, you've talked about uh, you've talked about the proposal should be on a slide deck, and that's 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 a new one for me. I, I at our company we definitely send out you know regular PDFs, um, and I but I like what you're saying, uh, and it's got you said it should be on because you know people ingest slides really well, they understand them, um, and it's it makes it easy for your for your. Uh, you, once you've given the proposal to your proponent who's at the company, the person who's kind of your, your hero, um, it make a, a slide deck makes it real easy for them to take it around and show people exactly what's going on. But what, what do you think should be on those seven slides? You said, you know, okay. what, what, are the, what are the titles of those seven slides? Sure. What's, what's on them? Well, and, and a couple of things, by the way, this can be done in written format. Okay. But, um, 
and follow the exact same flow and cadence, which I'm going to give you here. Um, but again, when you send it to the customer, you need to make an appointment to get on the phone with them as a minimum or get on a Zoom like we are and go through and have that dialogue. Mm -hmm. Because it's designed to frame, if you will, the right conversation. So let's start off with the first slide, which is the cover slide. And this cover slide should show your value proposition. Now, I can't tell you how many proposals I've seen, both on the buying and selling side, uh, where the cover slide is an indecipherable list of acronyms separated by commas. And if this is a really big deal in the technology space, let's say, the last acronym is an ELA, right? Enterprise License Agreement. Mm -hmm. and, and you look at that and you're going, well, what the hell does this mean? Okay, and, and if I'm the customer, the way I receive it, well, this is all about your products you, that you want me to pay for. Okay, so your cover slide is really important because it sends a message, whether it's a cover slide or a cover page, that this is about the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Okay, and here's our value proposition. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's, that's slide number one. Then slide number two is where you list these are the specific outcomes that we understand you're trying to achieve. Is this list right or did we miss something? And now you're really getting to the heart of it. And the reason you start with that is you got to remember, okay, customers pay for your products and services. They're buying those outcomes. And so everything flows from those outcomes. And, and you present them in a very humble way. And you ask the customer, did we hear you right? Is this list correct or did we miss something? Mm -hmm. Again, by being very humble, you're letting them know, you know, it's important to us to be sure we're aiming at the right targets for you. Now, once you've gone through that, the third slide is really critical. This is where you map those customer outcomes to your specific products and services and support and whatever else is going to be in the deal. And you show them how each one of these things supports those outcomes. And now the customer feels comfortable that, you know what, you're not just throwing stuff in the deal to pad it, if you will. Mm -hmm. Everything you're putting in here is directly related to what I'm trying to accomplish. This is a step that I see being missed in sales time and time again. For some reason, we assume the customer's going to connect the dots. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, it's a bad assumption. Connect it for them, okay, and explain them. The very next slide, and by the way, this is where most of my clients, uh, if there's going to be a palace coup, it happens right now. The very next slide, we're going to share with the customer what's important to us in a deal. And when I lay that out, I mean, people sit back and they look at me again. Like I said, I have my, uh, sometimes my Martian days where I feel like I just landed from Mars and everybody's looking at me like I got three eyes in my head and all that. Um, and people go, what do you mean? And I go, look, a deal's got to work for both of us. And I'll tell you what's happening on the buying side. They're spending an incredible amount of time, effort, and energy trying to figure out where we as sellers are coming from. I don't want them to spend time, effort, and energy on that. I'm going to tell them where I'm coming from. And hopefully they can help me get there, you know, expend some of that energy on that. You know, for instance, we believe as salespeople, one of the biggest secrets 
and God forbid we can't let the customer know, but we'd really rather do a bigger deal mm-hmm. right? instead of a little one. And, you know, the other state secret is we don't want them to know that we really want to close it before the end of this quarter, right? And that's crazy, okay? They know all this stuff. And if things are important to you in a deal, tell them, okay? Tell them. And you'll be amazed at the reception you get. Now, a lot of people will push back and say, Steve, if I do that, because again, this is part of our culture here in the States, we've been trained that, you know, you keep everything close to the vest and and when you're negotiating, you don't show your hand. Uh, And I get all that. But uh, let me tell you something, power in negotiating doesn't come from what's important to you in a deal. Power is a function of your alternative to not doing a deal. The old BATNA. (laughs) The BATNA, you're right. And I call it most likely alternative, right? Mm -hmm. And as a salesperson, look, if you've got a full robust pipeline and you only need to close 10% of it to hit your quota, you're more than happy to walk away from a bad deal. You've got the power, okay? But what a lot of us don't think about is the customer's alternative and then balance the two. So anyway, uh, that's the next slide. Then the fifth slide or the fourth slide, I guess. Yeah. Is where we, I think this is the fifth. Yeah. The fifth is where we show past value delivered. And the big Mm -hmm. mistake I see so many B2B companies do is they put up what I call the NASCAR slide, right? You've seen it. Here's all the logos. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, guess what? All your competitors have logos too. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help the customer make a decision. What I'd rather see is just give them a couple of examples of other companies that were trying to solve similar problems or achieve similar outcomes and show them the outcomes you delivered. It's much more impactful and credible, and it helps them feel much more comfortable, okay, doing business with you. Then the sixth slide, which is really the heart of the proposal, is where we're going to put up the options. And it's funny when you start doing this. Now, um, something I've noticed, I have a lot of clients in the technology arena, uh, and, and I've had lots of clients in many different industries, but specific to the technology arena, I don't know what it is, but we feel like we always have to have the answer. Now, I have to tell you, when I got into sales, I'm not that smart, man. If I always had to have the answer, I'd have gotten the hell out of sales a long time ago, you know? (laughs) Instead, when you put options up, because don't all of us like to feel that we're making an informed decision, that we're discussing pros and cons. And there's, you know, there's, there's an art and a science to constructing these options. But I'll give you an example. One of my clients is really world-class at this. They, they bring their customers into their boardroom. And you can imagine a big mahogany table. There's an overhead LCD it's shining onto a whiteboard. And when they put the options up, they hand the customer the marker and they have the customer go up and they go first, you know, they explain each one. They go, tell us which one do you like the best? And they'll gravitate and they'll circle one of them. And then the next question is I'd already shared with your audience is how could we make it better? Mm. Well, geez, you know, we'd probably like to do a little more of this. Well, we could do that, but then we got to change this. What else? Well, we probably don't want to get as much of that right now. Okay, well, we can do that, but then we got to change. 
their deals are really complicated, right? But at the end of an hour, they're done. And they take a picture of it. And they tell their client, tomorrow you will have a formal proposal from us in contract that has everything in it that we just agreed to. And their customers love it. Mm -hmm. Because it's their deal. They got to help put the deal together. So that's the uh, sixth slide. And then the seventh slide is simply a rewording of the second slide, the outcomes that were important. It's just, in summary, here's what we tried to achieve. It's the old adage of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. So that's, that's the basic seven slides, and that's the basic cadence. And as I said, it can be done in PowerPoint. It can be done in a written format. But the important thing is, is that you sit down with the customer either in person or remotely, uh, and you walk through and have a dialogue because you're going to be amazed at what surfaces and what you learn during that dialogue. And you're making it much easier for them to feel that they're making an informed decision. And if they need to go sell it internally, it's a whole lot easier because it's all in their language. And if they help craft the deal, they're highly motivated to go get this thing sold internally. And you're going to see conversion rates go up. You're going to see sales cycles compress. Well, I'm, I'm taking a ton of notes on what you're saying right here. This is, this is really powerful stuff, I think. Um, really, really powerful. Uh, well, I'd love to do our next section, which is, um, which is sales in 60 seconds is what I call this section. I'm going to ask yep. you a series of questions, short questions with, uh, with quick answers, a couple sentences. I'll try to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so first, what's your best advice for salespeople to manage uncertainty when, they're presenting or, or making a proposal? Well, the first thing is to realize there's uncertainty and the best way to manage uncertainty is to put options up there and invite the customer to have a conversation. And now you're going, all that uncertainty is going to get surfaced. Great. And what is the single most important point of a compelling proposition for uh, a compelling value proposition? Well, a compelling value proposition is not about you. It's about the customer. It's about the outcomes they're trying to achieve. And you need to present it to them in their language and their metrics. What I see so often is our value props are in our language and our metrics, and the customer doesn't understand them. Great. In your opinion, what is the biggest mistake salespeople make when it comes to pitching? The biggest mistake they make is they're more focused on what they want the customer to pay for versus what the customer is ultimately buying, which is the outcomes. And when you flip it and talk about everything in the context of outcomes, it's so much easier for the customer not only understand, but to get highly motivated to do business with you. But if it's about you, your widgets, all the acronyms that we all come up with and the cute names of our products and services, funny thing is customers don't speak our language. Mm -hmm. Okay, they speak their language. This is really powerful. Um, do, do you have a favorite tool for making compelling proposals? Well, as I said, right now, okay, you know, PowerPoint is kind of the uh, tool of choice, but I'll tell you, I have a vision 
of where we can build this into an application and where customers can, particularly when we get to the um, options, we can manipulate them right there in real time. Mm. And I'd love to have that onto, you know, an iPad, let's say, or even, you know, it could be on your phone, whatever, but it would allow real time, okay, to have this dialogue, to make the changes to it, and to agree on where we're going right then and there. Because you and I talked about this earlier, you know, right now, I don't think technology is doing everything it can do to help salespeople. Um, and this is an area where I think technology could really help foster the right conversations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do it in real time, right on your iPad or phone with, uh, with Google Docs. Yep. Just flip your, flip your, uh, your, your, your whole pitch into or proposal into a Google doc and, and do it there. Um, what's the greatest sales lesson that you've learned over the years? Well, the greatest lesson, and by the way, I learned it the hard way. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, all, and, all the great lessons are all learned the hard way by someone. It doesn't have to be by you though. That's the good. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, if you're smarter, you, you learn from other people's mistakes. Unfortunately, uh, I have a whole host of my own that I had to learn from. And the biggest lesson that I learned a long time ago was, you know, I've got to put myself in this customer's shoes. I need to be looking at the situation through their eyes, not mine. Yes, I've got a quota. Yes, I've got pressure to go sell things. But it becomes a whole lot easier if I first put myself in their shoes. And in some cases, I've got to help them determine where they could go, potentially, because they don't know what they don't know. But I don't walk in the door with the answer if I don't know the question. And that's what so many salespeople today are trained to do, right? They've got the elevator pitch, uh, et cetera. Well, you're coming in with the answer and you're not sure what the question is. And that's the biggest lesson I learned. Hence the dumb questions I ask. <laughs> um, well, as a final takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step to get started on creating compelling proposals? Well, let me give you a couple of options. One of them is my, my new book is out. It's on Amazon, The Compelling Proposal. Uh, you've got a Kindle version as well as there's a, um, a paperback version. Uh, and with it, uh, you will be able to download from my website, and I'll give you that a second, uh, the template, okay, the PowerPoint template. And it's got tips, et cetera, on there uh, for, you know, how to construct your proposal, how to construct each uh, section of it. Um, and our website is www.valuelifecycle.com. Mm -hmm. And if anyone would like to reach out to me and connect on LinkedIn, they can do so. I, I write a lot of, uh, post a lot of articles and blogs uh, concerning the topics we've talked about today. And generally, they're things that crop up during uh, the week or the previous week when I'm doing work with a client on a, on a real deal, because that's the bulk of my work today, uh, is consulting with teams on real deals. Um, and uh, you'll find some, some more information about uh, not just the proposals, but making it easier to buy and making it easier for customers to help sell internally. Makes perfect sense. Um, well, the next 
step here is I'm going to attempt to summarize all of this rich information in, uh, in a couple minutes here. So um, wish me luck on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I mean, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, um, and as I told you before, I mean, the proposal is a part of it. But, you know, what I found is it's kind of what I'll call a forcing function. If at the beginning of your selling motion, you know you want to have this type of conversation with the customer, it'll change the way you start selling from day one in the initial conversations. Uh, and it really helps drive uh, what I call the right conversations with the customer. And it just makes it easier for them to buy. And that's what they're looking for. You know, they want to make an informed decision and move on to the business of their business. Absolutely. Well, so to summarize this discussion, first, the way most proposals are written, they don't actually help the buyer make an informed decision. Sellers need to think about and ask themselves, what is this proposal supposed to do? A proposal should help the buyer navigate any sort of uncertainty that they have. The purpose of a proposal is to bridge the selling part of the sales cycle with the negotiation part of the sales cycle. So let's talk about the objectives to writing a great proposal. First, you need to reinforce trust. What makes a customer trust you? Second, you need to ensure that you're setting up the right negotiation. Third, you need to establish credibility. And keep in mind that trust is different than credibility. Credibility means you can prove that you've been there and done that. Fourth, the objective is to manage uncertainty. And the fifth and final objective to writing a great proposal is you want to make it easy for the customer to buy versus, you know, versus selling to them. So this is a tool that makes their lives easier in their purchasing process. Next key point, you want to give the customer a few options in a proposal. So you want to give them multiple acceptable options, each with different calls to action or CTAs. Ask them after you've given them several options, which option sounds best to them and that invites them into the conversation. Then you ask, how can this be improved? The customer can then start constructing their deal. And when it's their deal, the sales cycle naturally compresses dramatically. The value life cycle was created to build long-term relationships between buyers and sellers. Buyers want salespeople to tell them, one, what is the potential value for them? Two, they want salespeople to eliminate uncertainty. And three, the last, the last part of the cycle, and this is where as salespeople we often forget, we've got to actually deliver value. So what are the seven slides in a competitive proposal? What should you have in your proposal with your customer? So first of all, 
you want to sit down with your customer with these seven slides and have a dialogue to help come to an informed decision, help come to an agreement. The first slide is the cover slide. It's got your value propositions. Second slide, you share the specific outcomes that the buyer is looking to achieve. Third, you map those customer outcomes to your specific products and services. Fourth, you share what's important to you as a seller in the deal. Fifth, show past value delivered. So you're, you're showing them companies and experiences and, and that, that show where the, the person that received the value, the, the buyer, was looking to get a similar outcome to them and then you delivered on that outcome. Six, and this is, this is one of the key pieces, the options. So you're giving the customer multiple options. And, and really, the way, you're, the way I think that Steve is outlining this, you're almost giving two proposals. You've got the seven slide proposal where you're, you're, you know, you're going through these, these seven things. The seventh slide, by the way, is just a summary of what's going on, summary of what you want to achieve together. But this sixth slide, I think, is really the, the key. The, this is the linchpin of this strategy, is in this seven slide proposal, you're gonna, on slide six, you're giving them multiple options. And you, you're asking them, what's your favorite option? Ask them, how can, once they've chosen, oh, I like option two here. Then you say, how can I make it better? Then they, they tell you, you communicate, and then you give them a second proposal that is a more formal proposal on what they've described that they want in, in this seven-step process here. So this is, this is really powerful, Steve. It's a really powerful sales tool. I've, I've really enjoyed learning about it. Where can our listeners read more about your work? Where can they reach out to you? Sure. Again, uh, you can go to the website, www.valuelifecycle.com. And uh, that's where we catalog all of my uh, blogs uh, that go back for quite a while. Uh, they can certainly join up with me on LinkedIn. Um, and I'll, I'll have, I'll be happy to connect with them. And, uh, I post, uh, you know, pretty regular articles there, uh, that are, you know, on these particular topics. Um, and my contact information, it's Steve at valuelifecycle.com. I'm more than happy to communicate with anyone if they've got questions about sales, if they're running into issues with, uh, particular deals and that sort of thing. This is, this is what I do, you know, with my clients. So uh, I would welcome the opportunity to connect uh, and uh, have this dialogue with uh, any of your listeners. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm sure some people are going to take you up on that. Um, we will put, just because, you know, half the people are driving, we'll put all, all that, you know, the, the websites and his, his email and his LinkedIn, et cetera, in the, in the show notes here. So you can circle back and grab them. Well, th this has been uh, a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. Um, Steve, I really appreciate you coming on the show. If, uh, if any of our listeners can think of any sales reps that need, that need some, uh, some help or would benefit from learning about proposals, share the love and, and forward this uh, episode on to them. Take care until next time, everybody.